So again, it goes back to that question of the glass ceiling. Like again, how many more staircases do we have to climb? You're listening to episode number 73 of the Self-Care Sunday podcast, a minimalist media project by Kaylee Reed. New episodes are released only on Self-Care Sundays. And today's episode is an International Women's Day special with my friend Natalie Held, who is a brilliant woman, somebody that I look up to even though she is younger than me. She is the brains behind Blessed Be the Brains, which is a podcast series and online shop. 100% of the proceeds from her online store go to the fight for reproductive rights, which I thought was so fitting for today's episode. I've actually had Natalie on this show before around a year year ago, which is kind of wild that it's been that long, but it's episode 40 with Natalie Held. We talked about mental health, feminism, politics in that last episode, and those are some of the topics we're going to be covering in today's episode as well for International Women's Day. Natalie is just such a powerhouse. Um, In addition to running Blessed Be the Brains, she's also a writer for her campus and the communications director for Julia Mejia, who is a Boston city councilor at large. Uh, Natalie is based in Boston and on top of doing all these amazing things, she is somehow still just a university student. I'm so happy to have her on the show today. We're going to be talking a little bit about uh, U.S. politics. If you're a Canadian and this doesn't interest you, I think you're still going to get something out of this episode because we talk a lot about um, just being a woman in politics, uh, what it means that now again, there is no females in the running to be the next president of the United States, um, and how you can actually affect a lot of change within your community on a local level versus focusing on the national campaigns. Also, before we jump into today's episode, I just want to quickly announce that the Self-Care Sunday store is launching today. I'm so excited. If you didn't listen to the last announcement podcast episode, basically I decided to launch uh, my own version of merch for Self-Care Sunday, which rather than mass producing basic t-shirts and hoodies, I wanted to do something that was more in line with the values of what self-care Sunday is and what it means to me. And so I created a curated, super cozy, comfy collection of thrifted, vintage, and some brand new pieces that are, you know, made sustainably or sourced sustainably in a thrifted way. And so this was a fun way for me to do sustainable merch. Uh, You'll notice that there's a lot of beige, there's a lot of pink, the colors that I love to wear, and I basically picked everything as if I was going to wear it. And truth be told, I had a hard time listing some of the items because there was so many things that I just wanted to keep for myself. Um, That's how much I loved putting this collection together. And so the way that I'll be running the store is I'm actually going to be doing collection drops every week or bi-weekly. The next one will be next week, so you know for sure there's another drop coming next Self-Care Sunday. And in addition to the online store announcement, I also started a Patreon, which I talk a little bit more in the last podcast episode, but basically this is a way to support monetarily the podcast. Um, I've chosen not to have 
brand sponsors and advertisements on the show every single time because I think that it disrupts the listening experience and I really want Self-Care Sunday to be a safe space for listening. So I've been super, super picky about the brand partnerships I take on. But if you love the podcast, if you get value out of it, um, and if you want some perks like exclusive access to the online store, um, patrons get early access to the store. And actually this morning, some of the patrons already made purchases before the store went live. So it basically gives you first dibs. And you can also get an exclusive 10% discount if you're a patron because I'm not going to be doing discounts on the store um, basically at all really, maybe around Christmas, but all patrons will have a 10% discount forever. So you can use it on any order ever. And finally, you get some cute little things. Um, I'll be shipping out just like random stickers and surprises on a whim to Patreons on the second tier. So the tiers I've updated are $3 and $6. I got really good feedback from you guys after last week's episode um, just around, you know, your experiences with Patreon. And I had some really good conversations with a couple of you specifically who gave me your advice and you've like been on Patreon before and so I wanted to make a really super accessible tier which is a $3 coffee tier and essentially the idea is like you're buying a $3 coffee for me for self-care Sunday which I super appreciate and then there's the $6 latte fund and yeah basically I just wanted to give you guys an update on the merch the patreon and now we are going to get into today's episode Thanks so much for coming back on the show. I forget what our last last episode was, but I'll link it or I'll like put it in the introduction when I do that. I want to chat. Well, we have a lot to chat about today, but I want to start by talking about just some life updates since our last episode, because you've been doing a lot, a lot, (laughs) a lot of cool things. And I think your work is going to give some more context to like the rest of the episode. So do you want to talk a little bit about what you've been up to lately? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Natalie. I'm a junior at Boston University. I'm studying political science and women's studies. Um, I have my own business and podcast series called Blessed Be the Brains. The online shop has all the proceeds go to organizations in the fight for reproductive rights. So we've donated to uh, Planned Parenthood, the ACLU. Um, We did a special donation to Victory Fund, which is an organization that will help get LGBTQ identifying people elected to office. And we even did um, Races Texas which helps with families at the border during this whole terrible immigration crisis. And then I also uh, worked on a campaign for Julia Mejia. She was running for Boston City Council here in Boston, and she actually ended up winning her race by one vote. So it went to a historic recount, and she is now the first Afro-Latina, foreign-born, immigrant woman, and single mother on Boston City's Council. So So cool. Actually incredible. And I think it kind of restored a lot of my faith (laughs) in politics in this Mm. country. And it's honestly been, like, the honor of my lifetime to, like, be able to work for her and continue to work for her as her communications director in City Hall. So you're basically one of the coolest people I know. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I love that. I've been so inspired by everything that you've been doing and I really, yeah, of course you're welcome. Um, I want to jump like right into this conversation around current politics, the election. So I'm in Canada for listeners that might not know. I feel like if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know, I'm in Canada. Um, Natalie's in the U S obviously I, I'm much more intrigued with American politics because there's a lot more going on than here in Canada. And this week has been really a big week. Presidential candidates have been narrowed down to, again, a handful of old, wealthy, white men. Clearly not representative of women, first of all, let alone like any other minority groups. So I want to start by talking about that and your thoughts and I guess feelings when Elizabeth Warren dropped out. Yeah. So we are now with two white men. Um, We have Bernie Sanders and we have Joe Biden and Warren dropped out as of Thursday. And I think for me, um, that's going to be like a flashbulb memory. Like, that's going to be something that I'm never going to forget, like, where I was when it happened. Um, I had two midterms, and I was standing outside the classroom to my first midterm. And being stupid, I opened Twitter just to see what was going on. Like, I had 15 minutes before, like, studying is not going to do anything for me. So I opened Twitter, and I start seeing some tweets roll in that Warren's going to end her presidential bid. And I immediately, like like shut down, like tunnel vision, like did not know what to do. So all of a sudden, like, I just have like hot tears, like streaming down my face. And all I can think is like, I need to call my mom. So I call her. And the first thing she says is something like, are you okay, sweetie? Like, what's up? And because I never call my mom this early in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) So I called her and I just said, no, like everything's not okay. And she's like, what's wrong? And I told her and I was probably super incoherent and she tried to just say, you need to focus on this midterm, like call me after we can talk. Like, it's okay. Like, you don't know who Warren has talked to. Like there's still a VP. I'm like, but you don't understand. Like we aren't going to have a woman in the white house for at least another four years now. I just, I couldn't fathom it. And, And it just felt so overwhelming after having the most diverse presidential candidates in history. You know, we had the most women, we had the most, people of color and there were some really exciting candidates and so for it to just be windled down to our typical two wealthy white men again is just it's it's a lot it's a lot to grapple with and I think right now for me it's what message is this sending our daughters and future generations of women who want to pursue politics and who are looking to these women to build that path for them And I feel this obligation because I am a young woman in politics because I want to continue to create that. But how can I do that when even I feel so defeated? Mm. So with Warren especially, her campaign was so incredible. I followed so many of her staff on social media. I have friends involved in her campaign. And it is just such a tight-knit, strong community. And just seeing all these people and the work they've put in this past year and then some is just, it's, it's defeating. So Warren's whole thing was, you know, nevertheless, we persist and you got to keep fighting, you know, dream big, fight hard. And how hard do we have to keep fighting is the question, you know? Yeah. So I feel like I'm not quite at that point yet where 
I feel like I can keep fighting. And I think this goes back to like mental health and self-care too. It's like, I don't want to keep being this pawn in a game that feels so unwinnable with so many staircases to finally break that glass ceiling, you know? So I think that's a big reason why I've turned to local politics because I feel like I can make that change at a local level that can then influence our national politics. Mm. I think the way that you just, just just described those feelings reminds me so much of when President Trump won, um, that feeling of really, like there's this incredibly experienced, knowledgeable female candidate who kind of checks all the boxes. And I mean, there's so many arguments against why Clinton didn't win and, you know, so on and so forth. But just on paper... So much of it is like, how could this doofus, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like win over her? And so now again, seeing old, white, wealthy, the exact same type of persona taking precedent over uh, a very qualified female candidate, it's that same feeling as just a few years ago. And so what I've been struggling with is like, what does that say about the current climate? Like, has anything really changed in the past few years? Because I think a lot of people were really expecting a big pendulum swing after Trump was elected. And I think there's always that like reactionary movement back and forth in politics, but especially with Trump, yet we're not really seeing a huge pendulum swing in terms of the representation and like who is leading these voices. So that's kind of like, you know, been something on my mind, but then my thought is, is Bernie that candidate? Is Bernie the pendulum swing? Like what, what are your thoughts on that? I feel like to answer your first question of like how much has this changed the past couple of years, I feel like it has and it hasn't. Um, when we look back at 2018 and our midterm elections, it was historic. You know, our 116th Congress, our current Congress, is the most diverse in history. We have so many women. We have women of color. We have LGBTQ identifying candidates. Um, it's incredible. So I feel like that this wasn't because of Trump, but in spite of him. Mm-hmm. So I feel like taking back the House was a really big step um, because we can't lose that. And right now I know heading into 2022 is we're all very focused on the Senate race so we can get the Senate. And to be entirely honest, I think that we're right now a center right country. I don't think that there is a pendulum to be swung. Mm, (laughs) I think that that right now we are in such a political climate of center right policies that we need possibly a very left candidate to kind of move it back. You know, I don't know if we can excite our democratic base and get these young people out to vote if we have these two old white men, because that's not very exciting to some people. And yes, we have a movement of young people, but also young people don't always turn out to vote. And I think 2018 we did, and we showed that a bit, and we're starting to change that dynamic. But um, I, I don't know where where we go from here. And I think that's kind of the scary question. Um, I don't know if it's Bernie. I don't, I don't know who I'm voting for at this point. I feel like both 
Biden and Sanders need to kind of win my vote over because I'm not convinced either way. And I'm very focused and concerned about, you know, women's issues, issues for people of color, um, immigration, um, healthcare. So I need to figure out where my vote can go in that regard because I'm not a single issue voter. And I feel like there's a lot that are, that is so important. And at the same time, the big question is, you know, who can get Trump out of office? And right now, and even with the whole diverse democratic field we have, I don't know if we are able to get Trump out of office. I think that no matter who I vote for, no matter who we nominate for the Democratic Party, that this is inevitable right now. I think that Trump is going to get another four years because I don't think our country is ready to move on from this extreme, deeply rooted hatred and xenophobia we have for so many people in this country. And I think a big part of it was after Obama, there was this deep-seated resentment of him that just kind of boiled over. So when you have a candidate like Donald Trump who can just outrightly speak it and get away with it and get elected for it, 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 it shows a really ugly side of our country. And I know this isn't the America that we want to be living in, but the reality is that there are all these people that exist. So we need to figure out how to counteract these terrible things because the reality is it exists. So we're going to have a lot to unpack and a lot to heal when we do get Trump out of office, but I don't know if that's going to happen in 2020. So it's a very scary time for so many different people. And I know I'm definitely worried about my reproductive rights. I'm definitely worried about my undocumented brothers and sisters. Um, It's a very scary time. It's a very Mm. scary time. I'm glad that you brought up some of those more specific issues. And I want to talk a little bit more about that because I think one of the arguments that I've heard from young people, young women who maybe don't call themselves feminists is that all in all, we're living in one of the best times in history. And so when so many people are living very content lives, you know, very privileged, um, have a job that pays them to do whatever they want to do, have all the basics covered. They're maybe not experiencing racism or whatever, like you might have 40 years ago. The argument is, well, things are better than ever. I don't really care enough to see a huge change because it doesn't affect me that much. Like my life is not on the line, right? And so I think that's too what you were saying with Um, young voter turnout and not seeing young people voting, there's just not that inherent like motivation of this is going to change my life in a way that I need it to. Obviously, more oppressed groups, minorities are feeling that much more strongly the past couple of years um, because there is things specifically affecting specific groups that it does feel like life and death at some points, right? So I want to talk a little bit more about some of those issues. You mentioned reproductive rights and how these policies really are affecting your everyday. What are the fears that you have um, with another four years of Trump? And what are you really hoping are issues that can be tackled if we see the right person in the White House? So I think going back to your original statement, I feel like there 
is some apathy, but there's also a lot of empathy from this generation. Mm. So there are a lot of people who maybe think that this isn't so pertinent to their lives, that they don't feel the need to do it. But I'm finding more so that this is with older generations. You know, they have a stable job, you know, maybe they have some privilege and they're comfortable. They don't need to worry too much. But I feel like in my generation, we're, we're realizing that there are so many extreme issues that are either affecting us right now or are going to in the future. And I think that we're especially feeling this burden because generations before us weren't acting upon it, you know? So like the first thing that comes to mind is like climate change. Like Mm -hmm. we could could all be dead in 20 years because we're not taking the proper actions to take care of our planet, divest in fossil fuels and do clean energy and, you know, reduce our use of plastic. It's, it's alarming. It's scary. And we aren't looking at the facts like we should be. And that's, that's alarming in and of itself. So I feel like it's a combination of these two. Um, And again, the reality is that older people do go and vote. So we need to figure out how we can excite the younger democratic, democratic base to go out and vote because we aren't seeing that like we should be. Yeah. For your other part of the question. (laughs) No, it's okay. I have so many questions for you. Um, Another thing I wanted to talk about is, I mean, you already kind of alluded to this, that, Trump is very likely, and you know, I'm hearing this everywhere. Also, going to stay in office, um, yeah, even if it is, <laughs> even if it is Bernie or Joe Biden, you know, not truly representative. Do you think that there's a place where policy can be more important than gender, like? if policy is really reflective of the needs of people that that policy is about, does it matter who is writing that policy? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I always really hate this question (laughs) because I feel like the framing of it has the underlying assumption that women or minorities, whoever automatically are going to vote by gender. And it's not as if we're voting on on Mm -hmm. policy itself or both. Why can't we vote on both? And I feel like this question is always, I mean, obviously always asked when it's pertaining to women, um, again, because misogyny and sexism and media, but also because of that likability factor and the electability Mm -hmm. factor. So why aren't we asking these about men? You know what I mean? You had Elizabeth Warren, who's probably the most capable, one of the most capable women to run for this position, who was running on big structural change and fighting taxpayers and having student loan debt. Like, I, it's, it's insane to me that a woman so capable was still being questioned on her likability and even like her yeah. motherly instincts. You know what I mean? Um, so I feel like it's always going to be both because of this electability and likability factor and even when you have a woman like Elizabeth Warren or Christian Gillibrand or Kamala Harris or Amy Klobuchar, that there's always going to be that question of, oh, are her policies good enough? But you're never going to question that with a man. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the criticism from Bernie has been, okay, you've been a senator for so many years, but what work have you really done? You know, people will point to when he was um, during the civil rights era, how he was protesting and, you know, how he's been such a fighter, but, but what policies has he really enacted, you know? And I think what was really great uh, for me to see and hear on the debate stage was Elizabeth Warren calling out all these other male candidates and saying, 
you know, Amy and I are the only ones up on this stage that have won all of our elections. You know, you guys haven't. So Mm -hmm. why are you questioning our policies and our ability to sit in the Oval Office when we've done everything that we can Mm -hmm. and succeeded? So again, it goes back to that question of the glass ceiling. Like, again, how many more staircases do we have to climb? You know, I think the most frustrating thing for me is why, why can't we do this? Like, why can't we have qualified women in office? And I think it just goes back to this sexism and misogyny and this idea of, oh, it's just gender, you know, it's their policies, like, oh, like this and that. There's always, there's always going to be something. There's always going to be right. something. Well, okay, so everybody's frustrated. We're frustrated. I think there's just this, like, feeling of tension that comes before every election when you just don't really know what's going to happen and we're already kind of defeated based on what has happened to this point. So I want to move away from national a little bit because you talked about local involvement a little bit earlier and I think that's something that's really underrated and not talked enough about is local involvement in politics. Um, There's a lot of coverage, engagement in national campaigns, but usually not so much on the local level because it's like less glamorous, I guess you could say, or maybe people feel like it doesn't make as big of a difference in their daily lives as national campaigns, which you could argue it actually makes more of a difference. So Um, I'd love to hear more about your recent work and just like what you've learned and what what you've seen in terms of impact on the local level. Yeah, so I know we definitely talked a little bit about this over text. Um, I feel feel like there is this big misconception, like it's not as glamorous, you know, like you wanna be working for a national candidate who has all this name recognition and, you know, the local level can't impact you as much as national politics and big policies. But I think that's bullshit, you know, like, like get involved in your communities. Like that, that legislation, like that's what's gonna be affecting your daily, lo- your daily life, you know? Like, yes, national policies play a role, obviously. But think about the things that are going on in your town or your city. Like there are people that are creating things to make it easier for you and your day to day. So I feel like working with Julia, especially Councillor Mejia, I guess, <laughs> has been so rewarding in that regard. And I remember last year on the campaign trail, um, we went to go listen to Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez speak. And one of the things that really resonated with me that she said was, you know, I know a lot of young people want to get involved and they'll start on the Hill. And, you know, that's a great opportunity and it's very exciting. But, you know, I say, like, get involved in your local community. Find someone local that's running that you can get involved with. And I just remember turning to Julia and her looking at me and we were both thinking the same thing. Like, it starts in your community. Mm -hmm. Um, Grassroots movements are huge. And again, I I know I've said a lot of negative things on here about feeling really um, not empowered by national politics, but I think working at the local level has really restored my faith and especially Councilor Mejia's election because it shows the power of just one vote. You know, it shows the power of the individual and that movement that you can create. A lot of people that turned out to vote for her were people of color and, you know, historically, um, th- this doesn't always happen. And I remember election day was like a super rainy day. 
Um, and, you know, people don't want to go out in the rain. And so for this to happen was just a, such a incredible feeling. And it really restored my hope in that. Um, so if you're looking to get involved, I feel like there are so many different ways, you know, whether you want to just donate five bucks, you know, sacrifice a cup of coffee, donate mm -hmm. it to a local campaign. If you want to spend two hours on the weekend, you know, find a Saturday that works for you, do an hour or two, bring a friend and make some phone calls or go canvassing. There are so many small ways to get involved that make such an impact for local candidates. It's uncanny. But yeah, I feel like it's such a misconception that local politics isn't going to get things done. Um, right now, Julie has been introducing a lot of great hearing orders for things that have to do with civil rights and economic empowerment. Um, a lot of the things that she ran on were government transparency and accountability. So she always said on the campaign trail that she wants to hold a hearing on public hearings. So essentially like changing the times in which people like um, council meetings are so people can sit in and attend because what's the point mm -hmm. of having a hearing order and discussing a hearing order on working people and maybe like low-wage employee health care but if those people that have that are low-wage employees that need health care aren't sitting in on that meeting then what justice is that doing so if we're changing where and when these meetings are <laughs> Rose, <laughs> um we're we're going to grant more access to people to be able to have their voices heard and then create change on behalf of that. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about or share before we wrap up? Yeah, I think that right now for all the people that are maybe feeling not empowered by national politics or just by politics in general, to feel those feelings, to validate them, to understand that there are a lot of people feeling this way, but mm -hmm. to know that we really can't give up and that we have to keep fighting because Rome wasn't built in a day. We have to keep fighting for what's right, for justice. And that starts at the local level. We can influence national politics in our own communities. So just urging people to get involved in whatever ways they see fit. Um, they can reach out to you. They can reach out to me. <laughs> Um, I have tons of resources, um, tons of insight I can provide, but I think we need to be less talk and more showing up. Mm -hmm. um, so whether, again, it's donating your time, it's donating your money, it's offering your resources, it's sitting down with your family members and friends that you feel like you maybe can't talk to and having those hard conversations because something that I'm still learning um, from Julia especially is, you know, all means all. And we need to have these tough conversations and we need to all come together because that's the only way that we're all going to heal and we're all going to kind of bring our country back together.